and out of John chapter 20. John chapter 20, we're going to begin our reading at verse 19 and read to the end of the chapter. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. And then came Jesus, the door being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs did truly Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life, through his name. Our text is especially Thomas's confession in verse 28. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Let's look at Lord's Day 13. Lord's Day 13, two questions dealing with two more of Jesus' names. Why is Christ called the only begotten Son of God, since we are also the children of God? 
Answer. Because Christ alone is the eternal and natural Son of God, but we are children adopted of God by grace for his sake. Question 34. Wherefore callest thou him our Lord? Because he hath redeemed us both soul and body, from all of our sins, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, and hath delivered us from the power of the devil, and thus hath made us his own property. May the Lord again bless the preaching of his word. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, there in John 20, verse 18, we have the beautiful confession of Thomas as he sank at Jesus' feet. So often we think of that other term, the doubting Thomas. I will not believe unless I put my finger in the nail holes and my fist into the hole of his side. So we think of his doubting there, but notice We must also remember God's work of grace in Thomas when the Lord Jesus appeared to all the disciples, including Thomas, and he doesn't even need to put his fingers there or his fists there. He puts a beautiful confession on his mouth. My Lord, my God. For that was Jesus' own confession of himself, And that's exactly the reason why the Jewish leaders hated him so much. We read in John 19, verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. That was the Jewish leaders before Pilate. That is his supposed guilt He made himself equal with God. And of course, he is equal with God. In Lord's Days 11 and 12, we looked at two of our Savior's names. His name is Jesus, Jehovah's Salvation. His title is the Christ. He is the anointed by God and appointed by God Savior. And now we look in this Lord's Day at two more names, His only begotten Son and our Lord. Notice, first of all, that first name, His only begotten Son. Newer translations of the Bible say His one and only Son. What's wrong with that phrase? Why do we need to retain in our Apostles' Creed and in the Scripture passages where we read it, His only begotten Son? And the answer is the other name is a lie. For us to say that Jesus is God's one and only Son is a lie, for the angels are called sons of God, and You and I are called sons and daughters of God. God has many, many children. 
all for the sake of Christ Jesus. So under the theme, my Lord and my God, notice first of all the fact. Jesus is God. Second of all, the result, we are children of God. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the other name, Christ Lordship in our lives. Son of God is a name of our Savior that reveals our Savior's deity. That is what's important in Thomas's confession. My Lord and my God. His eyes were opened. He could see the deity of Christ Jesus. He says, I believe. And you and I in the Apostles' Creed also say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. If Jesus was not God, that is not deity, then we would be worshiping a human being only, and that would be sacrilegious. That would be incorrect. We do not believe in another person. We believe only in God himself. We don't even believe in the church. We believe that there is a church, but we know that the church is fallible. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. God himself calls Jesus his son. In Mark 1 verse 11 at Jesus' baptism, And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Even the devil acknowledges Jesus as God. For we read in Matthew 4, during the temptations, the very first one, the devil says to Jesus, If, or really that can be translated since, Since thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Or later on, he says, Since thou art God, cast thyself down from this pinnacle of the temple, for his angels will take charge of thee. Jesus' disciples acknowledge him as God. John 1, verse 49, Nathanael. Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Or again, Matthew 16, verse 16, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's Peter's confession. Christ speaks of himself as such. John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Or again, John 10, verse 36. Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God? That's the excuse that Jesus' enemies use for his death. He claimed to be God. And it is especially this that is the burden of John's gospel, isn't it? As we read in John 20, verse 31, 
But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing ye might have life through his name. So Jesus is the Son of God, his deity revealed. God himself calls Jesus his only begotten Son. The devil acknowledges Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus' disciples acknowledge him as such. And Christ himself speaks it. I am the Son of God. And that was the burden of John's gospel. Because at that time, when John is close to 80 years old, and he is there on the island of Patmos, he sends letters. And he has written this gospel because there were those who were doubting the deity of Jesus Christ. So you and I say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And if he is not God then our faith is nothing but just hero worship. A noble product of the human race. Then we would be saying, I believe in the man of God. I believe in his goodness, or I believe in his nobility, or I believe in his teaching, or his wonderful example. In the revelation of Jesus Christ, God sets him forth as the Son of God. Perhaps you ask, what is the importance of this truth? If Jesus is not God, our faith is vain. If Jesus is not God, we are still left in our sins. Because no man, no, wonder, no matter how wonderful he is, can even remove his own sins, let alone the sins of others. Jesus must be God, or our faith is vain. Then go home, party today, quit being religious. As the only begotten Son of God, Jesus has power to save you and me. He has the power, the ability to save all of those whom God gave to him already in eternity. And as the Son of God, he does the will of his Father in heaven. He doesn't come on a mission of his own to do whatever he wants. But the Father has decreed that he would come from heaven down to earth to stand in our place and to take our sins and our guilt upon himself and die our death. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. In other words, he did not become God at Christmas time. At Christmas time, he became man. But Jesus is eternally the Son of God. That is his relationship to his Father in heaven. And there is the guarantee that he is able to save us. He is the eternal, notice what the catechism says, he is the eternal and natural son of God. That means he shares in God's divine nature. It means that Jesus Christ is God of God and light of light. Oh, the difference between natural children and adopted children. 
Let me use, boys and girls, the illustration of Moses. Moses was the natural son of two Hebrew people, his father and his mother. He was the natural son, a Jew. But he becomes an adopted son, a son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he grows up there in that kind of rich background of Egypt, schooled well. He could even become, apparently, the next Pharaoh. But although Jesus was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and lived in the court of Pharaoh, he always remained a Jew, didn't he? He remained a natural son of his Hebrew father and mother, and he has a love for those people so that he chooses the afflictions of God's people rather than all the riches that Pharaoh's court could give to him. Jesus is called the only begotten Son of God because he is eternally and by nature the Son of God. He is God himself. That must be your and my confession too. Thomas doubted, but when the Lord Jesus showed himself, he breaks forth in that beautiful confession, my Lord and my God. And what does Jesus say about that confession? Doesn't Jesus say, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou believe, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Is that you, brother or sister? Is that me? We didn't have the same experience of Thomas with these eyes seeing him. But we do have the eyes of our souls opened up. And as Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, I go away from you, but I will come again and I will manifest myself to you. Do you see him by faith? Do you see him with the eyes of your soul? And do you say of Jesus, my God, my God. What an obligation then. If Jesus Christ is our God, then we think of the glorious work that he has done, and then we also think of our obligation. We must hear him and obey him. In other words, Jesus Christ manifests himself to us not only when we become Christians and our eyes see him there, but the Lord Jesus manifests himself every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening in the preaching of the word. In the word preached, Christ sets himself forth before you. 
And the question comes to you and to me, what think ye of God's Christ? What do you think of God, the only begotten Son of God as he speaks to you? May you and I join Thomas as he's kneeling before Jesus. My God. My God. But let's look at this question again. Why is Christ called the only begotten Son of God since we are also children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal and natural Son of God, but we, but, do you see how these are are put together? But we are children adopted of God by grace for Jesus' sake. You and I are God's children. So this Lord's Day isn't only dealing with the two names of our Savior, but it's dealing with Our name, son or daughter of God, children of God. How beautifully the scriptures teach this. John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Or again, Ephesians 1, verse 5. having predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Predestined in eternity, given to Christ Jesus, we are children of God. Paul writes in Galatians 3, verse 26, to the saints in Galatia, for ye are all children of God, By faith in Jesus Christ. Again, Romans 8, verse 16, Paul writes, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. The Apostle John begins his letter in 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Children of God, sons and daughters of God. Now the catechism is asking, if Jesus is the only begotten Son, how in the world can we also be called sons of God? and then daughters of God or children. And there he lays out the differences. While Jesus is the natural son of God, we are sons and daughters by adoption. What happens with those children that are adopted? It's a wonderful thing. But let's say you get a adopted child from Ethiopia or from China or from the Philippines. They don't look like you, do they? 
They're going to be darker in their complexion. They're going to resemble their natural parents. But what about us? In Christ Jesus, or for Christ's sake, we are adopted as children, and there's a wonderful thing that takes place. As adopted children, we are changed. We are changed by God, again, redone or remade in God's image. We bear the ability to have that image of God, and now we know God as our God we are righteous in our Lord Jesus Christ. In our lives, we are consecrated to our God. Yes, Monday through Saturday, when others look at us at our workplace or in our neighborhoods, they should be able to see an image of Christ or an image of God in us. While adopted, he changes us gloriously. Jesus is the natural son. We are sons and daughters by adoption. And our adoption, our sonship, is the fruit of God's grace. Jesus was the natural son, but unlikely at all. We who were dead in sins, you and I who by nature resembled the devil... God's grace came to us, united us to Christ Jesus, forming us more and more like Jesus Christ. When? When did that take place? Well, there are those who would right away want to go back to eternity. Well, from eternity we're children of God. Well, no. In eternity God decreed that we would be children of God. And it was made possible by our Lord Jesus Christ suffering and dying for our sins and taking them away. But we became sons and daughters of God in our regeneration. Natural parents bring forth children of wrath. But when the Holy Spirit comes down and creates new life in us, life from above, then we become sons and daughters of God. So while it has its basis in election, and it's through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, it is Christ's Spirit who gives us that new life, and we who were children of wrath are now children of God. So what a difference between the only begotten Son and us as children. But beloved, I also want to point out the similarities. Because that's what the catechism really does here. It ties the two together. Jesus, the Son of God, and us, the children of God. What is the similarity? Well, if you go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we are told what the similarity is. We read there, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew not him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be 
But we know that when he shall appear, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Isn't that a marvelous thing? In this world, we are never going to have the complete image. That is, we're never going to be perfect. There's flaws in each one of us. But John is writing here, it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, that is Jesus' second coming, we will be like, <coughs> like him. No sin at all. We will be those who know God perfectly. Those who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And those who are consecrated perfectly to God. So that just as Jesus said earlier to Thomas, he who has seen me has seen the Father. In that day when Jesus comes again, we will be like those who, if others see us, they see Christ Jesus. What a bold expression then. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. There is no hesitation there in the Apostle John's language. But John proclaims it proudly and boldly. We shall be like him. We are children of God. That means we are set, made higher than the angels. For the angels all are servants of God. But God raises us in Christ Jesus to be sons and daughters of God. Think a moment of the story of the prodigal son. He comes to himself when he is out there in that pig's field. And he says, I'm going to go to my father. There's all those servants that serve in the house. I'll come to my father and I'll beg him, let me be one of those servants because I'm not worthy to be called a son. But do you remember, boys and girls, the father was looking, waiting for his son to come back. And when the son comes to him, the father has his arms stretched out to his son. He says, son, you were lost, but now you are found. And the prodigal son did not then say, oh, no, 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 just make me a doorkeeper. That would dishonor his father. He takes that right to be a son because his father's love. And that's what you and I also do. Don't try to be real humble and say, well, I'll just be a doorkeeper in the house. Kind of quiet, not do much. We are, by God's grace, through faith, sons and daughters of God. And if you'll remember that older brother in that parable... Well, how did he look at his work? How did he see himself in the Father's house? He says, all these years I have slaved for you. He was merely a servant. 
the son who came home confessing his sin knows that he is loved by his father and is called a son. How else is it similar? In spite of the fact that you and I are really unworthy, that is, we have forfeited our right to be called sons and daughters, just like that young man in the prodigal son's parable. Even though we are disobedient children, even though we are self-willed children, even though we are loveless children, even though we are runaways, by grace, by grace, sons and daughters of God. And what that means is that Jesus' Father is our Father. That's why we are able to begin the Lord's Prayer with those beautiful words, Our Father which art in heaven. And our sonship then, or being daughters, marks us as being different from the world. Now that's not a matter of pride, but I say that in all humility we are different from the rest of humanity. Made different by God's election, by Jesus' redemption on the cross, and by the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And oh, the privilege of being children of God. We read in 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 21 and 23. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. All things are yours. Jesus' Father in heaven is our Father. Jesus' house, a room with many mansions, is our house. Access to the Father's throne is our access to the Father's throne. Bring your troubles, bring your sins, bring your aches and pains to him. We may go to him. He's our loving Father. He's Almighty God, able to give us what we stand in need of for body and soul, but he's also willing. Our Father in heaven. And not only are there wonderful things then given to us as children, but there is also an obligation laid upon us. An obligation that we live and we act as God's children. For God treats us like he does Christ. And those whom the Father loves, he chastens, doesn't he? Just as you parents have to chasten your sons and daughters when they're disobedient, or when they're rebellious. Jesus, God's only begotten Son, makes us sons and daughters of God. 
That brings me to our third point, Christ's lordship in our lives. And hopefully you see there the difference between these two names in this Lord's Day. Son of God describes Jesus' relationship to his Father in heaven. Our Lord describes God's relationship or Christ's relationship with us. And that's what Thomas says. My Lord and my God. What does it mean that he's our Lord? It means he's our master. He is our owner. He is our ruler. Not a tyrant, but a lovely, lovely relationship. Christ owning us. Christ caring for us. Christ living in us. Titus 2 verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Jesus gave himself. What has he done? What makes him your master and owner and ruler and mine? The Catechism gives two things. Number one, he redeemed us. What does that mean? It means that he forgives us all of our sins and our guilt. And boys and girls, the big word for that is justification. Our sins are forgiven. But that's not all that Jesus does. Forgive us. The Catechism says he redeems us. And he delivers us. That is, he sets us free from the corruption and the dominion of our sin in our lives. And that is called, boys and girls, sanctification. That's why Christ is our ruler, our master. Because he purchased us for his own. What a glorious message that is that we have to bring to God's people in their troubles, isn't it? I think of Romans chapter 10. We read there in verses 7 through 9. Romans 10 verses 12 and 13. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him, that is Jesus, shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a message. Lordship. That is all comprehensive. He is Lord over everything. But it is also strictly exclusive. He is the Lord of his church by grace. Even while he is a Lord over the world, it is power. Jesus' enemies, we read when he ascended up into heaven, are made his footstool. Jesus up in heaven as Lord is ruling over this whole world, carrying out, opening up the seals of the book, 
carrying out history so that the world embedded in sin continues that way even while the church is being drawn out of her. He rules in power over the world. He rules in grace. And you're my hearts by his word and by his spirit. And that means that Jesus is also then absolutely intolerant. You say, what does that mean? Absolutely intolerant, Christ Jesus rules in our heart, no one else. He does not share his throne with something else in our lives. Not materialism, not our houses, not our boats, not our cars, not other people. Absolutely, the only Lord, Master, Ruler of our lives. He will allow not others. He is our proprietor. And what that means is, he knows that he's responsible for us. He cares for us. And that's why he says to Peter and the rest of the disciples, feed my sheep and feed my lambs. He's responsible for us. He keeps us. He loves us. He defends us. He leads us. What a Savior. Leads us all of our life long as a pilgrimage to our final home and our victory and his glory that we may be with him. And how has he redeemed us? 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We are redeemed, made his own by Jesus' blood on the cross. How precious is that blood. Think of the many different hymns that talk about the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. What will wash away my sins? And boys and girls, the answer you know from that song is nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus has redeemed us from our sin, has delivered us from the power or the dominion of sin. And now what is the purpose of that redemption and that deliverance? For we say, don't we, with Thomas, my Lord and my God. It means that since we are his, we honor him with body and soul. We honor him. Romans 14 for none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ hath died, and rose, and revived, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. We live for him. That's our obligation 
a joyful obligation. The one who purchased us, made us his own, redeemed us from death. We want to serve him. Joyfully obey him. When we hear the commandments, we don't say, oh yeah, this is what the Lord is demanding of us. We want, we want to serve him. His law is our delight. And when the Lord leads us in difficult paths, we don't grumble and complain, but rather we patiently submit ourselves to his will for our lives. We submit because we trust him. We obey him. We know his will and we want to do it. Yes, the Lord is intolerant. We serve him alone and we reject all other lordships. We confess him. Yes, we confess him like Thomas did. Beautiful confession. Jesus Christ, my Lord, my God, is at your boast. Amen. Father in heaven, we look at Jesus' revelation of himself in the book of Revelation. Jesus is the lamb that has overcome. He is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And that name is on his thigh. King of kings, Lord of lords. We're thankful that we know him, not merely as the Savior, but we know him as my Lord, my God. Oh, Father, by grace, help us then to serve him willingly, to obey him, to love him. Amen.